Welcome, everyone, to Crossroads of Rockland History. I'm Claire Sheridan from the Historical Society of Rockland County, and we're continuing our year of women's history, and today we'll be joined by members of the Orangetown Historical Museum and Archives, and we'll be discussing Orangetown suffragists. The museum's curator, Elizabeth Scrabinia, and the museum director and Orangetown historian, Mary Cardenas, are both joining us by phone today. The Historical Society of Rockland County is a nonprofit educational institution and principal repository for documents and artifacts relating to Rockland County. Our headquarters are a four-acre site featuring a history museum and the 1832 Jacob Lawvelt House. We're located at 20 Zucker Road in New City. We're listed on the National Register of Historic Places and a designated New York State Path Through History site. Part of our broad and challenging mission is to share the history of Rockland County with the public. So we do this radio show as a way to meet our mission. We hope you will consider making a financial contribution to the Historical Society. You can do that safely online by visiting our website at rocklandhistory.org and clicking the Donate button. We'd love to count our radio listeners as financial supporters of the Historical Society. And now I'd like to welcome my guests, Mary Cardenas and Elizabeth Scrabinia, to Crossroads. Thank you so much for returning to our program. Thank you for having us, um, Claire. It's a, always a pleasure to uh, be on your radio show and talk about our museum and some of our exhibits. Great. So before we begin speaking about the exhibition, let's just take a moment to remind our listeners about yourselves. So let's start with you, Mary. Okay. My name is Mary Cardenas, and I'm the museum director of the Orangetown Historical Museum and Archives. I'm also the Orangetown historian, and I grew up on the east side, the upper east side of Manhattan near the Metropolitan Museum of Art, where I spent a lot of my growing up years. Uh, I moved to Rockland County almost 50 years ago with my husband and my three children, and it, it's been a, a wonderful experience living up here. When my predecessor, Maria McKay, retired, she asked me if I wanted her position. And at that time, Orangetown had just acquired the Salyer House over in Pearl River. And I was thrilled with the offer and uh, really the great opportunity to see the, uh, oversee the development of, the, uh, of really one of the buildings that comprise the uh, town museum. And Elizabeth? Well, um, hi, Claire. Um, hi. I'm Elizabeth Scrabonia, and uh, I've been a curator at the Orangetown Museum since 2007. Um, I've also been an adjunct professor of art and art history at several local colleges. I was a curator in residence at the Kostushko Foundation in New York City for about 15 years, and I was an administrator at Parsons School of Design. Um, this is, I think, going to be the 13th exhibit I've curated for the Orangetown Museum, so I'm, I'm looking forward to presenting it to you virtually. Excellent. So before we learned and got impacted by the devastating coronavirus, the Orangetown Museum had planned the exhibition entitled Orangetown Suffragist. How long had you been planning this exhibition? Generally, the exhibit's about a year, but the, the ideas are always bubbling before, and, and we let the word out in the community, and, and always 
throughout the process of curating an exhibit, sometimes we take a turn. Someone will appear with some fabulous artifacts that will really open our eyes up in a different direction. But I would, I would really say about a year. And it is appropriate, considering throughout the United States, commemorations are taking place now for the centennial of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. Here in New York, women, of course, got the vote in 1917. So, Mary, where did you begin with the research on this topic? Well, there is a particularly good book called Ladies Live, The Rockland Women Get the Right to Vote, and it's written by Isabel Savell. The book was published under the auspices of the Historical Society of Rockland County. And Isabel goes through uh, at some length about the development of different ladies' groups that picked up speed towards getting women the right to vote. And it, it's kind of an interesting history all in itself in Rockland County. And there were other books that I refer to. There's another one called Nyack in the 20th Century. But this one is very well written. Isabel is a sound, was a sound historian, and she goes through some great lengths in her research in talking about the, some of the movers and shakers here in, in the area. And actually, that's what we focused on, is, is these women who were important in the movement of getting women the right to vote. So your museum has an extensive collection of artifacts Elizabeth, did, did you have many things that lend themselves to this topic? Well, yes. We, um, the exhibit is very rich. We have a lot of interesting things to look at. One thing that we focused on is something that we were calling women work. Um, I wanted people to remember this period between 1915 and 1920. So what were people, what were women doing during that period? How are they making a living? How are they conducting their lives? There were new technologies that had um, come to the fore, the sewing machine, the telephone. Um, women were, women were um, working in health care. Women were working in the post office. We have supplemented these items with some incredible loans. The Historical Society of Rockland County lent us some significant artifacts of Caroline Lexow Babak, her, um, her bag that she kept, some of her suffrage uh, materials and a few other artifacts, as well as the Harrington Park Historical Society. They lent us some really incredible and very prescient for our times um, nurses' uniforms from the 1918 period, and this was from um, a nurse who worked at Camp Merritt in Bergen County. And as we know, a lot of those nurses were caring for our servicemen that had been stricken with the flu, the 1918 flu. So it's quite interesting that we're going to be incorporating that as well into the exhibit. And, Elizabeth, had the Orangetown Museum done an exhibition focused entirely on, entirely on a woman's issue before? No, no, we haven't. This is a first. Our exhibits have always highlighted uh, contributions from both men and women, but this is our first uh, kind of slowly, um, purposefully uh, women's issue. Of course, the amendment wouldn't have passed without men <laughs> because they were the only ones who could vote at the time. So, Mary, what kinds of things did you uncover about the men, or did you uncover any, any um, interesting facts about the men who ultimately decided to vote in favor of women's suffrage? 
Well, you know, that's that's an interesting question because men like Robert F. Wagner, and he was the father of Robert Wagner, who eventually became mayor of New York City, along with Al Smith, who was an assemblyman, who agreed to include the suffragette bill, which would be on a ballot in in the uh, state assembly. I thought those two figured prominently in pushing the issue of women getting the right to vote. There were other men also. The other thing I'd like to point out was that um, Caroline Lexow, her father was a state senator, and I kind of thought, you know, she got her grounding from the politics that were discussed in her household. She was also a student at Barnard College, so that she was a real firebrand in her day. But I think uh, her father probably helped her and inspired her to move the issue of women getting the right to vote here in, I'll say, New York State. Mm -hmm. So, Elizabeth, what kind of tactics did women use to convince men that women's suffrage was something they should support? Well, some were more subtle, like Alma Lieber, who we've called the Velvet Glove. Alma would uh, put together elegant soirees and meetings, and she believed that um, this kind of very ladylike manner was the way to go. Other women were a little more aggressive. Um, Also, there's the rather infamous 1871 um, action where four ladies from the Rockland County Female Institute marched to the polls um, to submit their ballots in Nyack and were their ballots were politely collected but put inside a hat instead of the ballot boxes. <laughs> but this was but this was a pretty bold move when you figure eighteen seventy one. So there were different within the um within the suffrage movement there were different ideas of how to move ahead. And initially I think this women's movement thought well, obviously, we will get the vote, and, you know, we will go ahead with, a, you know, again, this rather ladylike course. But um, as time continued, and it looked like they weren't making any progress, um, they did get a little more aggressive. You're listening to WRCR.com and Crossroads of Rockland History. I'm Claire Sheridan, and we're continuing our Year of Women's History. And today, we're joined by members of the Orangetown Historical Museum and Archives, we're discussing their exhibition, Orangetown Suffragist, and the museum's curator, Elizabeth Scrobinia, and the museum director and Orangetown historian, Mary Cardenas, are joining us by phone today. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks for being here today. Elizabeth, who were some of the influential suffragists in Orangetown, and who was your favorite? Well, you know, our research, we really uncovered quite a few. I mean, of course, as Mary mentioned before, Caroline Lexow Babak, um, a young firebrand, a tireless campaigner, uh, devoted to the cause. Um, um, there was Lulu Servan, who was, um, who went door to door in 1917 and guaranteed that vote for women. Quite interesting. Uh, you can't also forget about the artist, Helen Gardner, who was um, a great supporter of the suffrage movement, who was an actress and a filmmaker, as well as Mary Lawrence Tinetti, 
who started an artist's enclave in Sneedon's Landing. We have, um, we have many interesting women to present to the public. Maybe my favorite of these, it's really, it's almost difficult to say, um, there's a woman whose name was Grace Sayers, and um, she was from Nyack. In 1919, she was, um, uh, she was on the Women's Party, voted in as a trustee of the village of South Nyack, and she really went on to be quite an influential character in her town and um, was, a, was a, a great charitable leader as well. She's someone who led a lot of movement during this World War I period. She was quite a mover and shaker, one of many. And Mary, how about you? Did you have a favorite? I did. I think Lulu Servin of Pearl River. Uh, she was a, a real mover and shaker, and she went from door to door, as Elizabeth said, uh, asking for uh, people to get out there and vote. And, you know, the interesting thing is she was one of the early ones that did go from door to door, you know, uh, during this time. But the same kind of tactic is used by candidates running for office today that go from door to door. Elizabeth, were, were most of the women who were influential in the suffrage movement, were they affluent women mostly? I would say in this, in this community, generally speaking, yes, well-educated, well well-placed women were the most visible to us now. But that's not to say that many female farm, factory, health care, and domestic workers weren't also very important. I mean, try to remember also that at um, the beginning of the 20th century, a low-paid worker, a man would make $8 an hour, a woman would make 350 for the same job. Mm-hmm. So they were out there. And, of course, women's suffrage really was suffrage for white women. Women of color didn't earn the right to vote for many years afterwards. Right, Mary? Well, you know, that's really interesting because there was a difference between the motivation of, uh, of white suffragists uh, who were working with gender equality in mind while black suffragists uh, who were working towards um, getting the right to vote. But they wanted uh, racial equality, so it was like on two fronts for these black women voters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was important because it gave them a rise in their community, which was what they were looking for, equality and a, uh, a voice in their community. A large part of the exhibition focuses on the legacy that these women left us. So, Elizabeth, what types of things did you uncover in your research about this? Well, uh, one thing about the legacy that I found was a lot of these women were after the vote, not for personal gain, but really for serving the better good, for um, the clean food uh, movement, for equal wages, for um, care for children, child labor laws. And that was, really, that was really pretty significant when you look at it in that way. And that is something I think is really is really kind of continued to the, to the present day. I mean, we can't also forget about the legacy of our, from the birthplace of the, of the modern women's movement being in Grandview and, and Betty Friedan writing The Feminine Mystique and 
beginning it in 1957. But something that people don't know about Betty Friedan, maybe, is that she started this educational program while she was um, living there with a Dr. Leopolis, which was called the Community Resources Pool. And it was basically one of the first gifted and talented programs. This program went from 1957 to 1963. So um, I believe that we talk about legacy. The legacy is kind of women give back. And we're even really seeing it today, how many women are contributing and helping during this uh, coronavirus crisis that we're in. Absolutely. Mary, what was the most surprising thing that you've discovered as you've prepared for this exhibition? One of the surprising things was it didn't happen until 1965 under President Lyndon Johnson, who um, uh, really recognized the fact that uh, women of both white and black needed to vote, and uh, they should not be excluded by poll taxes or by a a literacy test. So I think under that um, that uh, law, uh, and it took so long to get there. That that's what I found amazing. You know, we jump from uh, nineteen twenty to nineteen sixty five. Forty five years later, when black women were then recognized as voters, and I, that's that's pretty significant. Mm, absolutely. And Elizabeth, how about you? What was the most surprising thing you discovered? Well, you know, I was really surprised reading the anti-arguments. You know, during this entire process, the New York Times was anti-suffrage, and they had some very, um, very good writers writing arguments that really stunned me. Um, and just across the board, I think the the, the arguments on the other side I, I found really surprising and. Um, a little, you know, a little upsetting as well, right? Talk a little bit about that. Did they seem sort of ludicrous when you look back on them now, or was there something else about them that, that struck you? Well, absolutely. Well, there were it, the, underlying, um, the underlying theme is a type of a fear. On one hand, oh, my God, who will care for the children? And there's a lot of artwork during this period that has uh, men actually changing diapers or cooking dinner, I mean, who unheard of, and, and a kind of fear of um, what will happen to the fabric of American life if uh, women have this kind of a voice. I think there was also a fear within industry about well, maybe they are going to change labor laws, and, well, maybe certain industries will lose some, you know, some type of massive income. Um, and, you know, there was, I think, in Wisconsin, ma, get home laws. They, you know, don't go to work, ma, what's going to happen to the fabric of the family? And, you know, as this is happening, you have women like uh, Dr. Elizabeth Blauvelt, uh, one of the Blauvelt clan. She gets her medical degree from Johns Hopkins University. She works in women's hospitals. She works at the old St. Vincent's Hospital in New York, um, which was a women's hospital in that period. She becomes a medical missionary. You have some really brilliant, interesting women that um, are proving these arguments wrong, but it, it did take a long time. 
You know, Claire, when you think from um, 1840 to 1920, that was also pretty shocking. Yeah, but they never, they never gave up. I mean, I think that, you know, one generation passed it to the next and to the next. And, you know, I was always interested in, in seeing when Caroline Lexow was a, a girl, you know, and a high school student, college student at Barnard, as you said, it was her interacting with both of her parents and her understanding how intelligent and uh, sharp and um, hardworking her mother was and the fact that her mother could not participate in the electoral process and that that really bothered her is that, you know, that, that her own mother, who was in her eyes incredibly intelligent woman, who could not participate. And um, so, you know, it's, it's just interesting how, you know, what motivates people to do things. Um, So it's interesting. So it's important to note that the Equal Rights Amendment has still not passed, even though it was brought forth right after the 19th Amendment was ratified, Equal Rights Amendment was put forth. Um, Is is this something that's covered in the exhibition at all, Mary? Well, what we did was just, just focus on a particular time frame, beginning with 1840 to 1920. No, I don't think it, it's, it's addressed uh, at all. And uh, there's only so much room that we had at the museum so that, you know, we can work with. Uh, and we wanted to highlight the more uh, earlier important points of, of uh, women's right to vote and who were the prominent people that were, the prominent ladies that were involved uh, there was just so much to say about these women. And the thing was, most of these women were married and raised a family. And then, in some cases, while they were raising their kids, they went on, they went on to lectures. They gave lectures. They went on to organize different groups. Uh, and they traveled from town to town, sometimes by horse and wagon, sometimes by train. So... That's what we wanted to show. We wanted to show where we came from to what we know today. And what we know today is it's important to get out and vote. Your vote does count, believe it or not. It, it's, I think people are, are more, uh, let's say, in, in the mindset of, like, my, I'm only one vote. That's not true. If everybody thought that, we, we certainly would be uh, in a different place. But it's important to get out there and cast your ballot. So, Elizabeth, what can we do now to make sure that these women's legacies and work is remembered? Well, I think everyone can channel their inner Orange Town suffragist and that you, you can be a man or a woman and just think about equal rights, making our, our community better together. Um, I think lately we've seen people really being more neighborly and, and thinking about one another. So that, to me, is, is kind of the message that came down from this women's suffrage movement um, about bettering education, um, thinking, about, thinking about equal educational opportunities. So that's, you know, that's a part of the legacy, and it's, it's like a job. So I, I think we're... I think we're all up for the challenge. Yes. So with the social distancing and the shelter-in-place orders that are coming down to try to flatten the curve with the coronavirus, 
Mary, what is the plan for the opening of the exhibition? Is it still, is it just on, on hold at the moment? Well, it is on hold, but the, uh, uh, the town owns the museum, so we are under town mandates. And when they officially closed the parks, uh, they officially closed the museum at the same time. And this was back, I believe, on April 6th. So until the town gets a permission from the state or whoever to open their parks, then the museum will open as well. And that's where we are right now. We had so many nice programs planned. Uh, you know, it was really anticlimactic to kind of shut, shut the exhibit down, shut the programs down, and just shut everything down. It was, I'll say, disappointing. Yes. But, you know, we'll, we'll forge ahead and we'll, we'll redo, you know, some of the things that were planned, if possible, and uh, move on. Yeah, that was what I was going to ask. So normally you do have auxiliary programming, and you'll try to reschedule those, Elizabeth? Yes, we're going to oh, have yes. to. We were looking forward to so many of them, especially we were working with Dominican College debate team, and we had set up for them a debate that was to take place at, in, the court, in the courtroom of Town Hall um, based on the 1915 vote um, pro or anti women's suffrage, and the, you know, as had been during that period, the the pros would wear um, yellow roses, the antis would wear red roses. So we were, you know, we're kind of we're disappointed we won't be doing that. We have an annual wine and cheese and poetry event at the museum with the Orangeburg Library. Um, we were also uh, planning a concert at the Manse Barn. Um, celebrating women's suffrage with this library consortium. And we had had a storyteller pickets and persistence, persistence that we were um, going to be participating with also with the Orangeburg Library. Um, there were other plans in the, you know, in the works. Right now, our curator, Emily Hengel, is um, really doing a great job trying to let the public know a little bit about this issue on our Facebook page and on our Instagram account. So we hope that people can take a look at that until they can come and visit us in person. That's great. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Mary Cardenas and Elizabeth Scrovenia, for being a part of Crossroads today. Thanks for having us, Claire. Thank you very much, Claire. And we hope you'll tune in to the next episode of Crossroads of Rockland History on Monday, May 18th, right after the Steve and Jeff Morning Show. Remember that everything you heard about today will be on our website, rocklandhistory.org, as well as a recording of this broadcast. As many of you know, the offices, museum building, and historic house at the Historical Society are currently closed, although inquiries can be made to our email address at info at rocklandhistory.org. And we have two stay-at-home, play-at-home puzzles for you to work on uh, during this time of sheltering in place. So if you go to our website, click the Press Room button, you can download the puzzles. You'll need to brush up on your Rockland history, though, because these aren't easy. Staying home saves lives, so why not have some fun, bring out your inner Rockland history buff, and solve the puzzles. We have a crossword puzzle and a word search. So please visit our website at rocklandhistory.org to find those puzzles. And follow us on Facebook, where you we have a growing group of friends and fans. And you can also find us tweeting on Twitter, blogging on Tumblr, and posting on Instagram. 
Thanks, everyone, and stay safe and healthy. Thanks for listening to Crossroads of Rockland History on WRCR.com.